Father God, we thank you so much for your word, that your word would change us is what we desire, that your word would dissect us and show us the things that we need to do and the things that we want to do. God, that your word would search the inner depths of our heart, as your word says, that by the power of your word it would discern our thoughts and intents, your word which lasts forever, your word which never fades, your word which is mighty, mighty to save. Give us wisdom, give us knowledge, and give us understanding, Holy Spirit. This is your church. We rely on you completely. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. Verse 1, chapter 25, is a very confusing verse. One of the most confusing verses in the entire Bible. These also are Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. Now, why would that be a verse? Why isn't that an introduction? Well, I can give you one reason that I thought of trying to give us a little hint of where the Proverbs came from. Solomon wrote these Proverbs down. He had them in books. And then the men of Hezekiah, the king Hezekiah, had them go through the scribes and say, hey, I want you to find all of them. It gives us a little idea, a little understanding of where we actually got the, uh, the Bible from, in a way. Other than that, I don't know why that's, chapter, that's verse 1. But verse 2 it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. Now, this happens to be one of the most comforting verses to somebody who is searching for some comfort, and I'm going to tell you why. People often say, well, I read this and I really felt like it was from the Lord. I wanted to do this. I wanted to do that. Here's what God did. Here's what God did. I don't understand. Should I get married? Should I take this job? And I always refer to this verse, and I always say the same thing. I say, listen, this is supposed to be a ride you're enjoying. You're supposed to be enjoying this journey. Why did this happen? Why did that happen? They're good questions to ask, but not if it leads to fret and worry and doubt. Listen, it's the glory of God to conceal the matters of your life so that you could have the glory of kings to search out these matters. Ryan, that offers me absolutely no comfort whatsoever. It offers nobody any comfort. But it's still the truth. All the things that go on in your life, all the things that God hides, he wants you to search them out. Well, what school should I go to? Search it out. Pray it out. Fast it out. What guy should I marry? What job should I take? What, what church should I go to? Because I've been thinking about going to a different one. Verse 3. As the heavens for height and the earth for depth, so the heart of kings is unsearchable. Now I'm going to tell you how this works practically. Because I happen to be a father, a business owner, a pastor. And how I apply it to Christ, the president any of my higher-up pastors, but also how I think about it toward myself. You don't know 
what it's like to make decisions until you're in somebody's shoes. If I told you how much advice I got about being a pastor, how much advice I get about being a boss, a business owner, how much advice I get about being a father, especially from my kids, especially from people who don't have children, they can't wait to tell you what to do and how to do it. Oh, you shouldn't do that to them. Hmm, really? Thanks. You see, you don't know what's in the heart of the king. But here's the amazing part, and here's the part about this verse that I love. You all know what is in the heart of your king. And it's nothing but love for you. Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Understand this. Every single thing, good, better, and different, that's going on in your life now is God-ordained so that you will get the best out of you and you can give comfort and wisdom to others. You who call on the name of the Lord, you who believe that Christ is the Savior, do you understand that? That seems so hard to believe, but you don't know what's in the heart of the king. You don't know how the story is going to end. And I'm here to tell you, every book, and let me, let me use a, 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 a symbolism, every book that God's ever put my life in has always had a happy ending. I don't know how he does it. I don't know if this one dies and it's like, well, what good could come out of that? I find out later. It always turns out good. Why did God allow this to happen to me? Why did God allow this to happen to me? Why did, even things that I went through myself, even stuff like I put myself in, well, he didn't do it. This wasn't a God-ordained trial. I did this to myself. Even there, God makes them turn out in the end, be like, son of a gun, you did it again. Now, the application for me is when Ken tells me to do something I don't want to do, when God does something I don't want to do, I have to remind myself, I, I don't know what's in their heart. I'm not going through what they're going through. I'm not, I, I don't know why. So don't be so judgmental on a king, whoever your king happens to be. Take away the dross from silver, and it will go to the silversmith for jewelry. Take away the wicked from before the king, and his throne will be established in righteousness. Does anybody know what dross is? When they burn metal to melt it down, it's like chafe when you're, when you're sifting wheat. It's this silvery, clearish fluid that has nothing. It's, 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 how many of you guys ever make a soup? and you have to strain off of the top the fat, that's what dross is. And he's using this symbolic analogy. He says, you know, when you take away dross from silver, then you could use it for jewelry. And then he kind of gets serious. He goes, the same way that a good king should take the wicked away from before him. Should have fired that Fauci when he had the chance. Take away the wicked from before the king. Then your throne gets established in righteousness. Right? I love the verse, and I don't remember where exactly it is in the book of Proverbs. It says this. When a ruler pays attention to lies, 
all his servants become wicked. And we are in a governmental situation there where, and I love this, the Bible also says this in the book of Proverbs, because of the transgression of the land, many are its princes. Let's put more and more people in state. Let's make, another, let's make a, 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 a czar of this and a czar of that. Let's make an organization that does this. And a, because of the transgressions of a land, many are its princes. When a ruler pays attention to lies, all his servants become wicked, which links, uh, brings us right to this. Take away the wicked from before the king, and then his throne will be established in righteousness which virtually at this point in time of our lives in this government and this place has absolutely no chance of happening. But the application for us, you can't wink at the sin in our own life. Sometimes you gotta, you gotta get rid of the, the dross in your life. Sometimes it's time to get rid of the dross out of your own life, right? You know what? I've been putting up with you for a long time. You refuse to do the right thing over, right? Cast out the scoffer from among you and striving will cease. Remember that verse? Do not exalt yourself in the presence of the king and do not stand in the place of the great. For it is better that he say to you, come up here, than you should be put lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. There was a guy in my early days in Christ named Dan Hickling. Dan Hickling was like the wonder boy at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. He was everybody's favorite. He was a kind and gentle man. His wife served at the church. They were very, very nice. He was extremely logical, super intelligent. He loved dissecting the Bible, and he was used mightily. Before we started this church, Dan Hickling, who I was never very friendly with, not unfriendly, just not close with him, he said, he said, Brother Ryan, could I take you out to lunch? And I was like, free food? On it. We went out to this place called uh, La Bohemia, I believe it was. It's right on Powerline and McNabb. And he said, Ryan, I have a Bible verse for you. And, I, and, and he said, you know, you love giving Bible verses to people. You pray for people and you give them Bible verses. And it blesses a lot of people. I want to give one to you. I said, speak on, Brother Dan. And this is the verse he gave me. He said, I don't want you to exalt yourself in the presence of the king. Do not stand in the place of the great. For it is better that he say to you, come up here, than you should be put lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. Hmm. I said, what are you, what are you, what are you, what are you saying? He says, Ryan, there's a lot of people doubting you right now. And he says, I want you to know I'm one of them. You want to go start a church? And because of your personality, it seems more like you want to bring attention to yourself, like you want to be the boss. He said, I want you to take the lowest seat. I want you to not, I want you to be the nobody. I want you to take this verse and really apply it to your life. And he did, and, and he was right. And that, when he said that to me, it was like what they call a rhema word. It was like, boom, that's for me. And I did, and when I left and went to start the church, we literally, no prayer, no fanfare, no, no, because usually, it used to be, if somebody was going to start a fellowship, they'd come up, they'd teach the Wednesday service, and then you go to start, some, nothing, zero, I wanted nothing. 
We started our church as if it was just another Wednesday. Wednesday, I was in church. The following Wednesday, we started our home church. I took his advice, and I've often used this because when you take the lower seat, my wife, um, we had this girl that lived with us for like three or four years. Her name was Rachel. Rachel's very quiet, um, very, very passive, almost, almost to a faulty sin. Um, bless her heart. I love her. I, don't, I, don't, I mean that in a disrespectful way. But my wife one time told her, um, Rachel, the world says the squeaky wheel gets the oil. God says he oils the wheels that don't squeak. Don't let your quietness bother you, and don't let anybody try to pull you out of it. God will oil the wheel that doesn't squeak. And listen, everybody's got their own faults and flaws. Got it. But I think that blessed her. I know it blessed me hearing it, and it's the truth. Now, that might fly in the face sometimes of you have not because you asked not. And said, listen, don't try to, let's not try to encompass everything. But it is true. And if you apply it in this way, you know what? Don't worry who sees you go to the convalescent home. Don't worry if I don't show up here. Don't, I mean, no, thank God we don't do that at this church. I, I mean, I'd like to think we don't. I, but I remember at our old church, we just wanted Bob to see us, man. We were sweeping the floor right by his office. Hey, how are you, Bob? Hi, just serving God here. Do not exalt yourself in the presence of the king. Do not stand in the place of the great. For it is better that he say to you, come up here, than you should be put lower in the presence of the prince who your eyes have seen. Let me tell you how that worked out for me. Four years after we started this church, Bob called me up and he says, Pastor Bob called me up. <laughs> it's great. It's like, hello? We didn't ordain you, did we? And I said, Pastor, God makes men what they are. I don't need no ordination. He goes, no. I want to fulfill all righteousness. I said, yeah, I ain't really interested. He said, no, I'm your pastor, am I not? I said, yeah, we're going to ordain you. And they threw this little shindig, and, you know, 20 or 30 people in our little church went over to, who was there? You were there? You were there? And they did this thing, and they had all my pastors come up and say these nice words about me, and they gave me a little ordination thing, and here you are, you're, you're a Calvary Chapel pastor. It's like, Good. He says, I want you to teach on next Wednesday night. And I'm like, sorry, I'm not going to do that. I said, why not? Because Dan Hickling told me not to. Blame him. <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't throw Dan under the bus, but I didn't. I never. He, I, I went back a few years later and taught a men's conference, but other than that, I, I just, there's no reason. This is my home. This is where I'm happy. I'm, I'm nothing. I, I don't feel like I'm missing anything. Verse 8, do not go hastily to court. For what will you do in the end when your neighbor has put you to shame? Debate your case with your neighbor and do not disclose the secret to another, lest he who hears it expose your shame and your reputation be ruined. Please, this is such an interesting set of three verses. When somebody tells you a story about something that's going on and they're telling you their version of it, some people don't realize how stupid they sound. If, if you have like a teenager and they tell you a story and you're like, I don't want you to tell anybody else that. How come? Because they're going to think you're an idiot. 
Oh, no, you don't understand. I showed up five minutes late, and the boss yelled at me. Five minutes. You believe he yelled at me five minutes? And then when I get my check, and then this, and then. And you're sitting there, you're like, yeah, do me a favor. Don't tell anybody else this story. Why? Like, because if they agree with you, they're not your friend. You're really not too bright, are you? You really don't get it. Hey, Stephen, how are you? Good to see you, brother. When you are a newbie, when you're a beginner, your first job, like we, me and Austin, we specialize in kids' first jobs. They show up, and we stuff them in the meat grinder. And when they complain, we stuff them back in again. And the first thing we do when parents show up is we tell them, you know what we're going to do, right? We're going to yell at him. He's going to hate it here. We had this, there's a guy that goes to our church now, and he comes to me and he says, hey, my son really wants to work in the animal business. No problem. Can he do a, um, what's that word? Internship. I said, nah, but he can work here. Because if I don't pay him, then he's going to think, like, I owe him something. So he actually shows up. He's 18 years old. And he does a really good job at first. But he starts to come to me and says, hey, um, boss, I'm going to move back home. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm going to go back to college. I'm like, it's too late. What do you mean? Like, once you leave, your childhood's over, my man. It's over. It's too late. No, no, because I want to go back. I'm like, yeah, what's her name? Huh? <laughs> huh? Because everybody's been talking about your ex-girlfriend because she broke up with you. Oh, that, that's not why I'm going back. It's not. And we went through this whole thing. And I explained to him, listen, don't. It's not this workplace that you hate. It's life. It's called being a man. You're 18. You're going to be 19 years old. You left school. You didn't keep going. You had the opportunity. You didn't choose it. It's too late now. What should I do? Get a job. You got a job. Start saving money. Find a wife. Have kids. Oh, oh, like the, the panic. I'd explain that to kids. Don't talk about this to anybody else, please, because you're going to look like an... And, but he didn't. He talked to everybody and everybody says, you talk to that kid? Oh, my goodness. You're this is what that means. Do not go hastily to court for what will you do in the end when your neighbor has put you to shame. Debate your case with your neighbor and do not disclose the secret to another lest he who hears it expose your shame and your reputation is ruined. Verse 11, one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. When you give somebody a word from the Lord, a bit of advice that fits like I got a call yesterday from my friend Danny. He said, 
he said, Brian, I need you to pray for me. I'm like, what's the matter? My son grabbed his wife. She called the police. I'm on my way over there. And I'm like, all right, I got you. What's the matter, bro? You seem panicked. He goes, the girl's father. He thinks he's a wise guy. He called him up. He threatened him in. Now my son's got five guys coming over. I said, Dan, do you have his phone number? And he goes, yeah. I said, call him now. He said, why? I said, tell him that you guys are on the same page, you want to solve this problem, and you'll meet him there. If you show up there while he shows up there, and you're on your son's side, and he's on his daughter's side, you know, Dan's an old New Yorker. I said, forget about it. This whole thing's going to blow up, bro. And he was like, I'll call you right back. Didn't hear from him about three hours. Called him, called him a couple hours later. I had to go. He goes, bro. Thank you so much. He said, when they put my son in handcuffs, because he did, he grabbed the girl by the throat. He's not a Christian, a kid. They put him in handcuffs. Her father started weeping. No, no, this is not what I want. It's my son-in-law. I don't want him to go to jail. So he completely defused. You see what I did? I gave him an apple, and I put it right into the setting, just right. An apple of gold in a setting of silver is just the right advice. You guys see that? Obviously, he's speaking in symbolisms and this beautiful thing. But I love the connected verse here, which is, my goodness, so connected, which will give you a little bit of a mirror picture here. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise rebuker to an obedient ear. Let me tell you what happens when you get up in the morning. Here's your chain, and on it is your little setting of silver. You put it on your neck, all right? And you call your wise rebuker. Hey, Rye, I just got into an argument with a customer. What should I do? Dude, been there. I'll tell you how to handle that. When you have somebody that can give you wisdom, when you have somebody you know that has time for you, that's a little wiser, a little further on, not necessarily that they're smarter than you, just walk down the road a little longer. I got 30 years in this thing at this point in time. Been a pastor now for more than 15 years. Got a little time. And you guys are my flock. I make time for you. But if you're wise, you get up, put, hey, bro, what should I do? A wise, and I love the way it's a wise rebuker. You're going to listen to somebody who's going to tell you something you don't want to hear? Or when he tells you something, you're going to whine, I ain't going to talk to that guy no more. I'll find somebody who tells me what I want to know. I understand. Let me read that again now, and read it understanding the symbolisms. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise rebuker to an obedient ear. He says, I want you to take that earring, that wise rebuker that's in your life, I said, like an earring. I want you to put him right there. Put him right there. Especially if he tells you what you don't want to hear because you can't find a lot of people like that. People who tell you the truth to your hurt what did we look at last week? 
The wounds of a friend are faithful. The kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Verse 13, like the cold of snow in time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him, for he refreshes the soul of his masters. Man, I got a few guys working for us now, don't we, Austin? We got a few guys, man. I got this one guy. He's a little bit older. He's a little cranky sometimes. But when you put him on a job, man, he gets it done. You don't have to worry about it. He keeps the stock. He keeps his employee in line. Man, this guy, he, he refreshes the soul of Drew, myself, and Austin. He refreshes our soul. Hey, did you? Did it. Hey, can we? No problem. If it's running to Publix for a roll of paper towels, driving to Miami to pick up a shipment, it don't matter. This man is on it. I wish I could tell him one day how much we appreciate him. Whoever falsely boasts of giving... Now, here's the thing about 13. You can look at that and go, I'm going to be that guy, man. I'm going to be that guy. You be that guy to your boss. You be that guy to your quote-unquote masters, overseers. You tell me to do it, I'm getting it done. Me and Austin always talk about, you know who our best employees are? Problem solvers. Don't tell me why it couldn't get done. Tell me why it could. Don't tell me this happened, that. Get it done. Oh, but I had... Get it done! Be a problem solver. The same kid I'm talking about that went up to school, I gave him... My, when my mom passed, she left us this amazing 30-year-old car. I gave it to Paolo, one of the guys that worked for us. Well, he got, a, he got a car, you know, a car. Actually, something that actually ran right. And he gave it back. I gave it to this kid. Man, boss, I really appreciate you giving me that car. Um, how do I get it, like, in my name? Well, you've got to go down to DMV. Yeah, I never did anything like that. Well, did you ask your father? Yeah, what did he say? Figure it out yourself. So why are you coming to me? I don't know how to do it. I said, okay. I send them dmv.gov or .org, whatever it is. Every step along, I said, listen, here's why you only make $10 an hour. You're not a problem solver. You want to make money? Become a problem solver. But I'll tell you what that son of a gun did. He got it done. He got it titled, and we didn't have the original title. I don't know where my mother left the title. He got it done. We filled it out. We got it. He got it done. I said to him, I'm going to give you a buck an hour raise for that because you became a problem solver. And when he left, you know what he did? Took his car with him. (laughs) Verse 14, whoever falsely boasts of giving is like clouds and wind without rain. Whoever falsely boasts of giving is like a cloud and wind without rain. Whoever falsely boasts of giving. I hope that everybody here 
knows the reciprocity, the opportunity, the blessing, and the favor of giving God his work. Pastor Bob put it the best way I've ever heard him put it. God, every week, gives you a 100-count bag of candy. And he says, just give me 10 back. And when you give him 10 back, he'll give you about a 200 bag of candy. And he says, now give me 20 back. People complain about having to give God a hundred count. Dude, you're making a hundred grand a year and you complain about giving God 10,000? Are you kidding me? Yeah, but when I only had five, yeah, what? It's the same thing. One thing me and my wife have learned tremendously, you can't outgive God. Don't, you know what? I reiterate, try it. Try to outgive God, see what he does. And if you think, and if you're new here, and you think for some reason I want you to tithe more because it does nothing for me. I don't make a percentage. I, I, I don't make money from this church. It's not how this church works. So just so you know that. Oh, I love verse 15. By long forbearance, a ruler is persuaded, and a gentle tongue breaks a bone. By long forbearance, a ruler is persuaded, and a gentle tongue breaks a bone. Let me tell you, we have a rule in jiu-jitsu. After the, after the warm-ups, after the drills, after the preparation, we do what's called rolling, where it's live drilling. In traditional jiu-jitsu, a lower belt never asks a higher belt to train. Traditional jiu-jitsu, which I'm not really, I'm, I'm halfway traditional. I like some of the traditions. I, I don't care if somebody asks me to roll. But in traditional jiu-jitsu, if a white belt asks any higher belt to roll, you smash him. And only when you're finished, you look at him and go, never ask a higher belt to train again. But when you are like a purple or brown belt and you really want to get a good rolling with a black belt, because you want to get beat up, you want to learn, you can't ask him to roll, so you have this. Good afternoon. <laughs> I don't have a partner, man. I wish I had a partner. Get a partner, 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 partner. Ah. Me? Oh, thank you so much, sir. This is exactly what this means. Long forbearance, forbearance, a way of manipulating somebody with just the way you behave. And a gentle tongue breaks a bone. I am not a part of this life. Serious. My father wanted to say he didn't, he didn't whisper it. But I know people. Actually, I just remembered one time. One time my father said something to me. I did something really stupid, and my father said to me, um, when my father was really mad at me, he used to talk Italian. And he looked at me and he went, Disgrazia. How can you say that to me? Disgrazia in, in Italian means disgrace. And you just... It was a gentle word. It broke my heart. My father never, that's the first time you've ever said anything like, oh, disgrazia. 
I got arrested for like the 16th time. It's like he was so sick of it. When you are even keeled, when you are good with your husband, when you're good with your wife, when, you're, when you are wise with your children, and you know one word, I'm so disappointed. Man, let me tell you something. That is one thing this generation is missing, learning how to be a wordsmith, learning how to use words rightly and well, being well-read and expanding your vocabulary. One of the reasons I like listening to these smart guys, like uh, Jordan Peterson, he uses these cool words like, oh man, I gotta remember that word. Gotta remember these words. What's a word I looked up the other day? I'm never gonna remember it. Never, never mind. <laughs> I looked it up though, I was like, oh, that's a great word! Have you found honey? Stop. Look. Last chapter, if you remember, if you were here last week, he did the same thing. He said, paraphrasing, open your mouth. That's honey. Tastes good? Hmm, like a little honey. He said, so shall wisdom be to your soul. And if you found it, you found hope. And it will never be cut off, right? Here now, sticking to the same, th the same theme, and, and it's great, I'm, I'm going to give you a head start. Later on in the proverb, he actually expounds on this proverb. Really cool thing, this is the first time he does it, I think. Have you found honey? Eat only as much as you need, lest you be filled with it and vomit. Now, he refers to honey in so many different ways in Scripture. One of the things is glory. Got a little glory for yourself? Be careful. I want you to take the lower seat, not the high seat. One thing he, 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 he uses um, honey for is... Um, Good counsel. You found some good counsel? Get only what you need. You keep going over and over and over and over to all these different people, it'll make you sick. You won't know what to do. Unless, of course, you're looking for exactly the counsel that you want to hear. Well, I was going to marry this dude, and I mean, he's not a Christian, but he says he's Catholic, and I think the Lord would be okay with it. I think so too. Where'd you hear that from? Where'd you hear that from? Why would you do that? You guys with me? You found honey? Eat only as much as you need, because otherwise you're going to be filled with it, and then you're going to have to vomit it up. Now, just keep that one in the back of your brain, and when we go back to it later, it's very interesting. Verse 17 is a verse I've applied to my own life. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house, lest he become weary of you and hate you. I don't let my kids go to the neighbor's house. I don't go to the neighbor's house. We say hello and goodbye. I don't set feet in their house. I don't. The people I show up to your house and hang out and all this stuff like that, man, eventually it always goes bad for me. Austin, on the other hand, does not adhere to this verse one bit. Austin's buddies with everybody. I watch him walk around the farm today with like eight people. I'm like, hey, who's that? Oh, it's our new neighbor. My new neighbor or your new neighbor? Your new neighbor. I met him on the road. 
But he's a hockey player, a professional hockey player, so that's different. I don't let my kids either. No, stay here. We, we have family for that. Don't, don't go over there. Right? Am I lying? Huh? Right. A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a club, a sword, and a sharp arrow. So if you find somebody wants to tell you something that you know is not true, make a mental note in your head and in your heart. That guy, that girl is dangerous. Yeah, so-and-so said that you said so-and-so said, I never said such a thing. That person that just told you that, that's a club, a sword, and a sharp arrow. Be careful with that person. I love this. This is a little bit of wisdom that you get to uh, keep to yourself, that you get to... It's, it's so crazy because some of these things that we read are symbolic. Some of them... I love the straightforwardness with the symbolism here. Hey, listen. Somebody who tells a lie about another person and tells it to you, I want you to note that person in your heart. They're a sharp arrow, a club, and a sword. Continuing. Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. Boy, does that sound familiar. Where did we just hear that from? Oh, yeah. It's the exact opposite of that other verse we read about the guy who is a faithful messenger. This is what happens when you're not a faithful messenger. If you show up to work late, if you don't get stuff done, if you're not a problem solver, this is what your bosses will think about you. This is what your family will think about you. This is what your wife will think about you. Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. Now, let's take this literal If you are with a man or with a woman who is constantly being unfaithful to you, please remember 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you are married to somebody who doesn't want to be in the relationship and they don't know the Lord, you are told to let them go. You're not told to hang in there. You're not told God hates divorce. You're not told you have to stay married. You can't take communion if you get a divorce. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible says if you are married to somebody who is unwilling to be in the faith and they want out, let them go. God has not called you for war, but for peace. You with me? Verse 20. Like one who takes away a garment in cold weather and like vinegar on soda is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. I got to tell you how this verse came to pass in my life. It's hilarious. Okay, so years ago, I'm serving underneath a guy named Don Dukes. He's my pastor in the prayer ministry. And he goes to the doctor because his eyes are starting to get swollen. And the doctor diagnoses him with leukemia. He flips out. He goes into 
absolute panic mode. He, he checks himself into the hospital. He's freaking out. Me and my friend JC and one other guy, I think it was James, we're going to cheer him up. So we go there and we have a jam, we got a little, and we're singing songs to him. Chet walks in and he goes, what are you guys doing? We're trying to cheer him up. He goes, you're singing songs to a heavy heart. You're vinegar on soda. Now, turns out, it was what's called sarcoidosis. Black folk get this thing called sarcoidosis. It's not usually fatal at all, but what happens is it's, its symptoms mirror le leukemia. As soon as they diagnose him, man, he jumped up for joy. Hallelujah, praise God. God healed me, God healed me. And then he saw you guys, thank you guys so much for coming. Don't ever do that again. I was afraid to throw you guys out, but it was horrible. I'm like, well, now I, now I got to know because I'm a young minister. I mean, I'm only in ministry, you know, in this kind of ministry, pastoral type of ministry for a couple of years. I was like, well, what should we have done? He goes, you should have done what Chet did. I'm like, well, what did Chet do? He just sat there and held my hand. He held my hand for hours. It's like, sorry. <laughs> Again, like one who takes away a garment in cold weather, and like vinegar on soda, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. Sometimes it's better to listen. Like, gentlemen, if you've ever been married for more than, I don't know, two hours, <laughs> you will find your wife say this to you. I don't need you to fix it. I didn't tell you so you could fix it. If you've not seen It's About the Nail, how many of you guys here have not seen It's About the Nail? I played it, right? So everybody here has seen it? If you've not, you've got to look up YouTube. It's not about the nail. What's the application here? Listen. Sometimes they don't want you to fix it. They just want you to listen. Sometimes they want you to fix it, but I never know when that is. I always mess that up. Don't try to sing songs to a heavy heart. Don't try to fix it. Just be there. Just be there. Hold their hand. Verse 21 and 22. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Let me tell you how this works in my house. When my wife is my enemy, I don't want her to feed me. And you know what she does every time? She feeds me. Your dinner's on the table, my king. I'm not hungry. Now, here's what goes on. And, and, and listen, I'm an adult. Believe it or not, I'm an adult. <laughs> I can't bring myself to let it go. Inside, I'm like begging God to tell her, 
to come and just, just eat. Don't worry about our argument. And I'm, I'm begging. I'm so hungry. She's such a good cook. And, but I'm not, I'm not going to eat it. You're going to treat me like a jerk. I ain't going to eat your food. This, this argument in my heart goes on. It's like, please tell me to eat it, please. You know what that's called? Coals of fire. But listen, this also works for your real enemy. Man, you got somebody you're at odds with? Food and water. Man, I know we had an argument, but I know I hate your guts, but I had your car washed. I know you hate me, but I sent over a Christmas card. You believe it. Man, if your enemy is hungry. Now, now what is makes the special about this verse? Anybody know? The Lord quoted it. The Lord quotes this verse in the book of Luke. I think Mark also. If your enemy is hungry... Give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head, and the Lord will reward you. The north wind, verse 23, brings forth rain and a backbiting tongue and angry countenance. There's an interesting thing, just like that other one about the guy that's the club, the arrow and the sword. He said, and this was known back in, time, back in biblical times in Jerusalem, a north wind coming off of, I forget what, Galilean Sea, always brought rain with it. It's, 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 the rain is going to come. Why? Because there's a north wind blowing off Galilee. It's going to bring rain. The, the fields will be watered. Given, done, absolutely going to happen. You know what else he says? People who backbite, people who, who talk crap about other people behind their back, you can see it right in their face. Somebody you see, somebody you know, you look at them and they give you the stink eye. You've been trashing me behind my back, haven't you? I tell people all the time, you could tell a lot about what people think about you by how their kids treat you. Because parents don't care. They talk right in front of their kids. Oh, he ain't listening. Yeah, they're not listening. Just to every word. Rayleigh is... 50, how many months is she now? 20. She, 20 months. She understands every single thing you say. Everything. She can't talk about it. She's just baby. But she knows everything. You see a kid, and they look at you, give you that stink eye, that, that angry countenance that you know. There's backbiting going on there in that house. Are you agreeing with me, baby? You can tell. Wisdom, guys. Wisdom. Here it is. Wisdom. It's a little honey for you. Wisdom. Apply these things. Use these things. They will change your life. It is better to... I don't want to read this verse. It is better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Hmm. I don't know anything about that. I'm sorry, guys. I just don't know this verse. Not even a little. 
It's better to dwell in a corner of a housetop and have a share with a contentious woman. Austin, you want to feel that verse for me before you leave? Anybody here have a contentious wife? They want to share about this? Verse 25, <laughs> as cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a far country. Isn't that the truth, though? Some of these verses I love about them, they're not necessarily just wisdom to apply. They're just like obvious stuff that you know. Man, if you've ever, if you've ever taken some kind of medical test, Cola guard, something that takes a few days and it pops up and it comes up negative, you're like, yeah. It refreshes your so many. It can lift your whole head up. You know what? You guys know what I'm talking about? This is just one of those things like, man, cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from. Now, I want you to understand something about this. This is 3,000 years ago, this was written, almost 3,000 years ago. You know where they got cold water from? Not too many places. And you know how long it stayed cold? Not very long. They didn't have an ice box. They didn't have an ice cube maker. Man, when it was cold or the, or the water was flowing off the mountain and there was still snow caps under there. And, because, listen, the vast majority of the water that they drank back then, they had to boil first. So you've got to boil it, you pot the water, and you've got to put it back outside in the cold. And then, oh, man, cold water. So good. Like cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a far country. Now, application is this. And you know somebody out of state, out of city, you know somebody far away? Why don't you come up and give them some good news, man? Why don't you give them the good news? Why don't you give them the good news? Cool story that happened. I got enough time. I only got... A few more verses. I got a, yeah. I experienced this daily in certain people singing verses because cold water. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Me too. I love getting, you guys that send me verses, you don't send them enough. I love them. Starting at Steve at 5 o'clock this morning. Man, Mario's a little late today, but that's okay. It's a good word. Mario always has a good word. Good news, like fresh, like cold water to a weary soul. I don't, I'm not a cold water person. I don't, I don't put too much ice cube. I, I like room temperature water, but every once in a while, a nice cold glass of ginger ale, man, hits the spot. A righteous man who falters before the wicked is like a murky spring and a polluted well. We looked at the similar verse last week. He who falters before the... If, if you faint in the day of adversity... Your strength is small. Remember that verse? If you faint in the David, it's a correlating verse. It's a confirming verse. It's a righteous man who falters before the wicked is like a murky spring and a polluted well. Now, for me, it's really important because I'm not one of those Christians. I don't like Christian friends per se. I love my church family, but I, I like to surround myself with unbelievers. I like my unbeliever friends. I have a list of people I'm praying for, and I want to, and sometimes I hang out with them, and they're talking all nastiness, and I sometimes find myself like, 
leaning into it a little bit, like enjoying it a little. Oh, bro, that reminds me of a video. That reminds me of a joke. And man, don't falter before the wicked righteous men because then you're just a murky spring and a polluted well. And you're not. You're supposed to be good news from a far country, refreshing water. You see it? We're all guilty of it because bad company corrupts good morals. But keeping this here, and if you guys remember, I told you from the beginning, I've told you every week for the first 10 weeks, don't feel convicted by this stuff to the point of condemnation because if you're not convicted after reading the book of Proverbs, you're a liar or you, you don't have the spirit in you at all. Everything I read here is kicking my butt. Everything. This verse is like the worst because I do it, I do it far too often. Far too often. The gym, I got guys in it, you know, and I, I participate a little bit. Like, don't be a murky spring. And, and, and this is a great thing about God. He's always ready to clean out the spring. He said, I'll pour a little fresh water right over you. Just come on. You with me? Now watch what we go back to. It's not good to eat much honey. So to seek one's own glory, it's not glory at all. Take the low seat. The honey of glory, it's good, but not too much. If you found honey, don't eat more than you'll need. You'll, you'll vomit. Right? All those verses we just connected, and here he, he cleans them all up. It's like he cleans them all up, puts them in a boxes. Here, now we'll finish that section. And he goes, it is not good to eat much honey. And that implication there is not much honey, it's too much honey. So, to seek one's own glory, it's not glory. If you want the credit, you want the pastor to see you, you want, that's not glory. The Lord Jesus put it this way. Don't be like the hypocrite. They stand on the corner, praying, hands raised, blowing the trumpet before they give. You know why? I tell you the truth. He said, verily, verily, I say unto you, they got their reward. Their reward is given to them openly. He says, but you, when you pray, you go into your room where nobody sees. Close the door. And your father, who sees in secret, he will reward you openly. I mean, the implication there is pretty cool. Like, God rewards you for praying. That's crazy. And lastly, and most important for me in this verse... This is my, my, uh, my wife gave me this verse years ago. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. That word for spirit, let me give you the, um, the actual meaning there, the Hebrew meaning. Have you ever seen a spirited horse? Or, oh, that guy's got a lot of, he's spirited. It's literally your temper. It's literally your temper. Whoever has no rule over his own temper is like a city broken down without walls. Back in the biblical times, and even to this day, a city's greatness was judged by the height and strength of its walls. If you were traversing, if you're going down somewhere and you saw this gigantic wall, the Great Wall of China, you're like, man, Hadrian's Wall, from Rome. I mean, if you saw a great wall, it's like, man, that must be a great city in there. They are, it is 
impregnable. They can't be broken into. He says, but let me tell you what a man who can't control his temper is like. Easy to get to. Find a man who can't keep his temper, just, just needle him a couple of ways, he'll blow it, he'll lose it. Easy to take out, easy to take down. Easy. Get him mad, take everything he has. He's going to give it away anyway. Again, and lastly, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. So what's our job? Have control of our spirit. Don't let nothing rattle you. You guys have heard me say this before, and I say this virtually every day to somebody. Nobody makes you mad. You allow yourself to be mad. No, no, you don't understand. She said, nobody makes you mad. You allow somebody to control you, you've already lost. Oh, but my boy. Nobody makes you anything. Matthew chapter, I don't remember, says, follow me, speaking the Lord. I will make you. God's the only one that makes you when you follow him. And he'll make you what he wants you to be, which, of course, we know is a fisher of men. Right? Amen? We finish on time. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. So rich, so real, so perfect, so life-changing, and we appreciate you, God. May these verses, these things sink deep down into our heart, and we actually change. We love you, God. We thank you so much. Father, if we haven't said it, we say it now. Happy, happy birthday to your son. Merry Christmas. Thank you so much for giving us such a beautiful, beautiful Savior. Thank you, God. May we learn and grow and change. In the name of Christ, amen. Amen, amen. amen.